Now, once you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 20. We're going to continue our verse by verse study through the book of Acts. And uh, as we, as you guys are flipping there, just to kind of give you an application on what we're going to talk about today. I was thinking of how, especially in this season of life that my wife and I are in right now with three busy boys that have jobs, that have sports, that have school, and kind of shuttling them all around and that along with all the other demands of life, how it's so important that from time to time we're intentional about taking time to rest. I was just talking with a brother about this in the hallway, how like, he's like, that sounds like something God actually tells us in God's word where he says you should take a Sabbath. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yet we feel guilty for it so often because we're in a culture where we're just, it's so, our time's so demanded, like be busy, busy, busy. And if you take a day off, it's like shame on you because there's so much to do. Whereas God's like, no, actually you need a day off. You need a day to rest. And, and, and this is something we see Jesus actually do with his disciples. Um, Mark 6.31, I won't go there, but that's an example where it says they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus is like, we're going to break away for a time of rest. And what's key in that is that they went to rest with Jesus. Because sometimes we can make the mistake of just thinking like, oh, I just need a vacation. I just need this. And there's nothing a matter with those things. But we don't ever go anywhere without Jesus. Because ultimately, Jesus is your rest. All right? Because the things that leave us weary and tired like, and leave us anxious and worried, those are all things that our relationship with Jesus relieve us of. He relieves us of worry. He relieves us of burdening ourselves with much work and, and, and striving and all that stuff. In some way or another, Jesus is our rest. So when, wherever we go, we take him with us, even on our vacations or our times to break away and relax. And the reason I'm telling you this is because one of the ways my wife and I and you know other people in this church that serve, one of the things we try to do whenever we're able to is break away to conferences, specifically those that would um, their heart is the ministry to pastors and their wives or leadership because there's something unique with this calling that God's put on our lives, that you're best ministered by people that have gone through it and kind of learned um, biblical principles that the Lord's kind of taught them in, in how to do these things well with Jesus. And actually, we're, this month, we'll be going to a couple of those. But those have just been always a, a, a spiritual refreshment along with a physical refreshment when we're able to go to those things. And uh, if you've ever wondered... Like, well, what's talked about at like one of those conferences? If you if ever you ever wonder what kind of biblical wisdom is shared at those, you're in luck. Because in today's section of scripture that we're just going to start today in Acts 20, you're going to see probably one of the, the richest pastors conference that has ever taken place. Okay, maybe with the exception of when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and pouring into them before he was crucified. That might be... The, that is the better thing because it came from Jesus himself. But this is a great example where Paul's pouring in to the leadership of the church of Ephesus these important principles, biblical principles of ministry or of serving Jesus. And, and another thing that's unique about this is that if you look at the book of Acts, this is the only message, if you will, that's um, uh, recorded by Luke who wrote the book of Acts that was conveyed specifically only to Christians, all right? There's a lot of messages that are in there that were preached basically to 
um, unbelievers and Christians alike, but this is the only, like, if you will, specific message or teaching directly to Christians only, which I think, again, shows the importance and the uniqueness of it. It's something that you want to underline, you want to highlight this, because it's full of rich knowledge for us and how to practically serve Jesus well. Amen? Amen. All right. So just a refresher. We got through the first 16 verses of Acts 20 last time. And we saw Paul. He's starting his journey back to Jerusalem, um, going back home after this missionary journey. And he's visiting places he'd gone along the way before where he had planted churches, just checking in on the believers, encouraging them. Um, and, and we left off with him going to this place called Miletus, or basically stopping there for a time. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll start digging into this chapter. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much again for your word. Father, um, your word's truth. And there's a whole lot of confusing things that don't appear to be truth in this world, and we're thankful we have this to uh, reveal to us what things are right and what things are wrong. And we know that your word always proves to be right in some way or another. Whether you want to look at statistics or just um, as your word leads to blessing, like seeing the beneficial results of when we implement it and we follow it in our lives, it always proves itself to be true. And because we've, we've understood this, we're, we want to go to your word first and foremost for direction in our lives, for guidance, for correction, um, knowing that it's for our betterment. Whatever it might be, we know you have the answers for us in here. So, Lord, as we look at these, in a sense, fundamental principles, but things that can be hard to learn and that we need to be reminded of often so we don't lose sight of them on what it looks like to just serve you, to live for you, to follow you. Um, we want to take these things in. And if there's specific specific things that are being talked about that we're struggling with, I pray, Lord, that this would be like drinking a refreshing cup of water where we're just filled and, and cooled and refreshed so that we leave here encouraged, Lord, and, and ready to live in these things by the power of your Holy Spirit and, and experience the blessing that comes with obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 17 says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to Come to him. So if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, verse 16, he skips uh, Ephesus. He's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem, trying to get back there before Pentecost. And so him probably thinking that, well, if I go back there, it's going to be too long. He, 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 he skips actually stopping in Ephesus. But having been told by the Holy Spirit, Paul had been told by the Holy Spirit that he was going to be imprisoned in the near future. And actually, he was going to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. As we're, we're going to see that later in this chapter. Basically, the, somehow the Lord put that in his heart and showed him that. He knew that, hey, this is probably my last opportunity to spend time with these guys I've invested in. These guys I've trained up. These guys I dearly love from Ephesus. The leadership of the church. The elders. And so he says, why don't you guys come and visit me? And so... He, he, so he can basically pour into them one last time, encourage them in their walks with the Lord, share some wisdom with them. And so that's what he does. He calls for them. And then in verse 18, it says, and when they came to him, he said to them, and I want to stop there really quick because I want you right here to note off the bat that when, when Paul makes this, this attempt to, to be with these guys, to call them, what do they do? 
they in turn respond by coming to him, all right? Which wouldn't have been convenient. Back in that day, it's just about a 36-mile trek, probably by foot, all right? They, they all, everyone had busy lives back then, just like we have busy lives now, but they take the time to make this trek at, at his calling to come and hear what it was that he had to share with them. And this showing us one, one, one thing right off the bat, it, one thing we have to understand, it's so important that we stay in this place of humility where we understand that we always need pouring into. We need people to encourage us. We need people to share things with us that they've learned over their Christian life that we're still learning. Amen? All right? That's important. And that often happens through more mature believers sharing with us things that they've learned that we haven't learned yet. That's basically, if you want to know like what discipling is, we use that term, it's kind of Christianese. That's what it is. Basically, you're imparting the wisdom God's taught you to somebody else, or you're sharing it with them. Like practically, this is how, here's what God's word says. This is how it's looked in my life. Here's what I've learned. Be blessed and in, in, in use this as you see fit in your life. That's kind of discipling. And the reality is no matter how mature you think you are in Christ, there's somebody sitting around you in this room that's more mature, that has learned stuff that you are still learning. Amen? And no matter how mature, how immature you are, there's somebody in here that's even less mature or still basically has stuff to be taught that you can teach them, all right? That's just a reality, okay? Um, and sometimes I hear people say things that aren't exactly... The perception might be right, but they're not really... It's not really the reality. One of those things is that, well, I don't just don't see anyone around me that's there to disciple me or that's available to disciple me. Or on the flip side... Maybe it's like, I don't really see any opportunities for me to pour into other people. Maybe like teach them or, or have an opportunity to disciple them. And the question I always try to ask people when they say that is like, okay, so is that a reality or a perception? Because there's a difference, all right? And the reason I say that is because if there is in fact other people in the church that are partaking in that, that shows me that the opportunity is there. And if it's there for some people, why is it not there for you? All right? And we got to be careful of this because sometimes we can let our feelings deceive us into believing that our perceptions of things are really true, which is a tactic of the enemy because what that leads you in is the feeling like there is nothing for you to do and that you're useless. And it creates this stagnancy in your walk or basically a complacency where you're doing nothing, which is not where the Lord wants you because he's got significant things for you to do. But it's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Oh, amen. So we got to be careful of that. And I'd also caution us of making the mistake of thinking that just because there's not a formal church-sanctioned ministry for every type of thing that there is under the sun doesn't mean the opportunity isn't there to partake in those things, such as discipling, all right? Because some of the richest discipling, some of the richest encouragement and edification that I've had in my life has been from personal one-on-one relationships with people just simply meeting up with them somebody you know my pastor like his heart was just like follow me as i follow jesus just very much the way jesus discipled you just inviting me along to hang out with him and 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 come do things and then giving me opportunities and 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 teaching me along the way and and that is very much where uh, i've experienced the most fruit in my life and pouring into other people's but what's required for that to take place is us following paul's example of making ourselves available to pour into others by taking the time to invite them to come 
and hang out with us, all right? And that can, that can happen a whole bunch of different ways, all right? Maybe you're somebody that likes to fish or hunt, and you just invite somebody to come along and fish and hunt with you, another brother or sister. And that conversation that happens while you're doing that is discipling. It's encouraging edifying each other. Maybe you invite someone for coffee. Maybe you're somebody that walks every day for exercise. You're like, I'm going to invite this sister to walk with me or whatnot. Something as simple as that. And God uses that simple thing to do great things in and through you. Here's an example. Today, and I'm telling you this because selfishly I want prayer. Um, After service today, there's a group of us that are going to head to Portland because I got invited by a church, a plant in downtown Portland of all places, Calvary's Chapel, Portland City, uh, to go and preach the word at an outreach in a park in Portland this evening. And so I'm going to go down there, but I ain't going down there alone. No, no. It's like, first of all, I don't believe in going and doing ministry alone. You see examples of the Bible with believers going out two by two or more. So it's like, I always want to bring people with me for prayer support. And then also... Just like, you know, for the Lord to use them, you know, like in, in, in being used by him, however he might want to do that. So like I just pray and Lord puts people on my mind. So I'm like, hey, would you like to come? And so that's discipling. You invite people to come and be a part of what the Lord's doing. And through that fellowship we have there and back and through the ministry the Lord does through us there, that's how we build each other up and we edify. It's that simple. All right. Now. When you're invited, you also need to take the time to make yourself available to come and hang out with those people so that you can be poured into as the Ephesian elders did. They understood, oh, this is good for us. Yeah, yeah, we're going to take a day off and we're going to walk all the way. But because we know that whatever Paul has to say, like the Lord's going to use that to bless us. So we're going to go. So and people that are intentional about implementing these principles in their in their lives, basically, People that are intentional about making themselves available, that's, those are the people that have the most fruitfulness in your life. I always like to say, God's not going to withhold any bit of himself from you, and he wants to do a great work in all of us, but you've got to make yourself available. And the more available you make yourself, the more God will do, all right? And you might say, well, how do I, how do I know who needs discipling, or how do I know who to ask to disciple me? And the answer is through your relationships with your church family. As you guys hang out with people and get to know each other through gathering together, especially the smaller gatherings we have, like Bible studies or home groups or, um, you know, seek night, whatever they might be, the smaller ones where you can really connect with people, the Lord just inevitably connects you with people that he wants you to have close relationships with so this mutual encouragement and edification can happen. But if you... Don't take part in gathering with your church family often. Then yes, it proves to be a challenge to feel connected to other people. As often people are left just feeling like they're on the outside looking in, wondering what their place is in God's family or God's church. But here's what I encourage you. If you find yourself thinking that, like what's my place in this church? I don't feel like I belong. I'm going to reassure you that that is a lie from the enemy because you are critical to this church family. What Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, is that every single person in the body of the Christ, the body of Christ has an important, vital role that if you're not in the midst of this body and performing that role, then we're all hurting. And when you are, we're all being blessed, all right? That's what it says. Actually, in, in Peter, it talks about how we're all living stones, and I like that picture because if you've ever seen the temple and you see how big these stones are, if one of those stones was missing, that building would fall down. 
And that's how God looks at us. We're all parts of his, his temple with him in, in, in us, you know, in his church. And we're all critical, all right? But you can't fulfill the, that role, that significant role, unless you're actively involved. No more than I can be a good father if I'm never present with my boys. It's the same thing. You've got to be present, and then God can do what he wants to do. So availability is the key to God being able to use you to minister to others and then to minister to you through others, both things that should be continually happening in our lives for us to be spiritually healthy. And that's what you see happening here with Paul and the Ephesian elders. Amen? All right, so he goes on. He says, you yourselves, this is what he's telling them at first. We're only going to get through a couple of verses today. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. There's another example where they met in public in a bigger setting like we're doing today and then house to house in a smaller setting, a model we try to follow. Verse 21, it says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love this section because what Paul's shown us, because we see a lot of him preaching to unbelievers. He's an evangelist, right? But he's also a pastor. He also has a heart to shepherd God's people. And Paul reminds us that he lived among them during his time in Ephesus, as he says there, which spoke of the fact that he wasn't above anyone. He considered himself equal with people. And the reason he's able to tell these things to them and they should understand what he's saying is because he lived among them. They were able to see that he wasn't somebody that just spoke, basically talked the talk. He walked the walk too. And through his relationships with them, they knew firsthand that what he was saying was truth. And this is a key thing for us to understand in ministry as well. Because here's the thing. If you're going to be effectively used by the Lord in anyone's life, they got to understand that you struggle with the same things they do and you need the same truth from God's word to help you in your life as, as it's helping them. Because if somehow you come off is that you've got it all figured out or you're above them, you know, like, or like, you know, you're, I'm some celebrity pastor or something like that and you guys are beneath me. If we, if we do that at all, then what we tell people is automatically going to be discredited to some degree because they're going to think he, they don't understand us. They don't know what we're going through. And so how you, can, how you overcome that is you do life with people. You have relationships with them. You let them get to know you and you're, you be honest. You've been genuine and real. You don't try to hide anything like, yeah, we're all struggling with the same thing. And our same answer is to go to Jesus, to go to his word. And this is what, you know, again, the discipling thing. This is how he's taught me how this looks in my life. Amen? Amen. So that's what Paul did, and it allowed him to be really effective in ministering to people. And there's seven principles. This isn't all the principles in this chapter, but just seven principles I pulled out, or I, the Lord spoke to me, that Paul shares in these first um, uh, four verses of, 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 of biblical ministry, or, or basically what it looks like to serve the Lord, which applies to all of us, not just leadership, all right? That's important. That's why I'm telling you guys this. I mean, some of you guys might have that call to be leadership in the church at some point. Some of you guys are, but just, just in serving the Lord in general and following him. So this is applicable to all of us. So that first principle I want you to note is consistency. Paul pointing out 
that he lived the same way the whole time he was with them in Ephesus in verse 18. Or basically, he was consistent. In essence, from the moment Paul came into Ephesus, he made it clear, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm here to tell you about him or share the word, all right? And that never changed. And there's a point in your Christian walk, I don't know exactly when it was for me, but there is a point where you just realize this world has nothing I want, Jesus has everything I need, and that's it. I just want to follow him. And that doesn't make you perfect. The perfecting process is still happening. But when you realize that, when you realize that I'm just going to consistently follow Jesus, that perfecting process ramps up, all right? And you just, it, it, things don't become a question anymore. It's not like, oh, am I going to read my word today? It's like, no, I need to read the word, whether I feel like it or not. Do I need to go to church? No, I'm going to church. You know, it's, it's like these are things that we just don't, we discipline ourselves to do them because we know we've experienced these. This is how I stay close to Jesus. This is how he corrects me. This is how he helps me. This is when I'm most stable in my life and I'm not all over the place. And so in that consistency also allows you to minister to the people around you to a whole greater degree. Because if you're, if you, in a sense, leave any area of a doubt to the people around you that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus, then what that does inevitably is it opens up the opportunity for this, this unnecessarily feeling of, should I conform to them to fit in or should I be a follower of Jesus? Because if you make it clear from the beginning that you're a follower of Jesus, it's way easier to fight that temptation to need to conform because you've established that at the very beginning, right? And there's this lie that's kind of slipped into the church over the years that somehow we're supposed to look like the world around us. We're supposed to be culturally relevant in order to be able to um, minister to them. And and what I'm not saying is that, like, yes, a church will reflect the environment it's in. Like, basically, we look a lot different than the church in downtown Portland, okay? Because there's not a lot of people here wearing skinny leg jeans and wearing beanies. Some of us do. I'm not coming at you. But those churches are full of it because they just, they're not trying to be culturally relevant they just, that's a reflection of where they live, all right? That's normal. But having said that, Rev, uh, Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So what that tells us is that you're going to look opposite of the world if you're following Jesus. And guess what God's going to do with that? That's how he's going to glorify himself. Or that's how he's going to show himself to everyone. Because what God has is more desirable than all of the lies of the enemy out there. And that's going to be your open door to tell people why you are the way you are. Amen? So it's normal for us to be countercultural, to look different. And that's what God's uses. And the more consistent we are in a walk, the easier it is for God to use you to do that. Amen? All right, so consistency. Consistency was the first principle that Paul points out. Second principle he shares is make sure that you're serving the Lord, okay? Paul pointing out ultimately who he was serving in uh, to the Ephesians in verse 19 or why he was doing what he was doing. And this, again, being very important for us to understand because if your ministry is focused toward serving people, now, practically, I get that we're serving people, but if that's your focus, I'm doing what I'm doing to make this person happy— Guess what's going to happen really quick? You're going to see you're not going to make everyone happy, 
All right. And a lot of the times it's not no fault of your own because hey, I'm one of those people. I'm hard to please. All right. We're, we're all imperfect being perfect in the process of being perfected by our perfect God. But we can be finicky and we can not appreciate the give the appreciation that we should and or receive things the way we should. And the problem is if you're doing it for people and affirmation from them or, you know, expecting some results and you don't get that, then it's going to make it really hard to endure. It's going to make it really hard to keep serving because as soon as things don't work out the way you'd hoped, you're going to want to quit. All right. But with the Lord, if your heart is to serve the Lord, you know what makes him pleased. Basically, that you're being faithful and obedient. That's the only thing he asks. All right. Faithful and obedience. Like basically you do what he say. You do what he says and you're faithful with the things he's given you to use for him. It's really simple. If you're doing that, then you can know God is pleased with you. And guess what? That's the reason we're serving in the first place, because we want to please people. It's easy to serve people that are pleased. And so if you know God's pleased with you, you're going to keep serving him. Right. And so if we do everything to God, as it says, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. So if we do everything as unto the Lord and we know he's pleased with us, that makes it joyful and, and worth doing everything in your life. Amen? Because when you are raising your kids and they don't listen to 90% of the stuff you're saying, it's going to make you want to quit. But if you're doing it as unto the Lord and you know that God is pleased with you and he's going to take that and even if you can't see it, he's going to use it to do something of eternal value give you an inheritance, then it makes it worthwhile, right? See, that's the other flip side is like anytime we're doing anything in this life, it's always for some type of uh, achievement. Like basically the greater the achievement, usually the, the greater joy that comes with doing that thing. And so you can't be guaranteed that anything in this life is really going to matter past this life. If even matter more than the, the whatever time you put into it. Because a lot of times we spend all this time doing something and then we achieve it. And then it's like, oh, well, what's next? But anything you do for God amounts to an eternal achievement. Even the hard things you go through in life. It says there in Second Corinthians, the momentary light afflictions are achieving an eternal way to glory. Even those temporary hard things you're going through are amounting to an eternal way to glory. Whatever that is, it just sounds amazing. And you get to enjoy it for all eternity. So again, when we're serving to the Lord, it makes everything worthwhile. It's what keeps you going in life. So it's important, like Paul, we realize that our service is to the Lord first and foremost. Amen? All right. Third principle. Be humble. Paul's saying in verse 19 that he served the Lord with all humility. And the idea is that he did everything out of this place of being humble and reliant on God to help him do the things. Now, if you read through all the epistles, you probably agree with me that Paul seems to be a pretty gifted dude. I mean, he was highly educated. He knew the word really well, even though he says like, like I, I wasn't very good with speech or I came with simple terms like 
I think that was on purpose because like you see the way he addresses people like in the power of the spirit, like whatever. It's like he's a good orator. He's able to express himself. It just he's obviously a gifted individual. But here's something also that you see all throughout the epistles is you see him make it clear over and over again that I'm just the messenger. I'm just the 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 weak and foolish thing that God is choosing to do great things through. He understood that it's not me. It's God doing all this. And, and, and so it kept him in this place of not letting ministry go to his head and becoming prideful. And it kept him humble, which kept him reliant and desperate on God to help him, which allowed God to do really great things through him. All right. Paul actually telling us in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. There was some sort of affliction that was allowed in his life that he asked God to take away. And God said, no, because it says here in verse eight, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Verse nine, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he'd come to this realization at first. He's going through something hard. He's asking God to take it away. Totally reasonable. We all do that in life. But God somehow showed him. He's like, no, this is actually for your benefit, Paul. Because this is going to keep you in a place of humility and reliance on me. And he had learned over time that, well, that's a good place to be. Because when I'm relying on God, he's able to do the great things he wants to do. And so he's like, all right, well, if that's the case, then I want to stay in this place of suffering because in my weakness, you're going to get to show your strength off. And it's a good word for us because here's the thing. You want to be and remain usable by God, stay humble. Because the moment that you start thinking that you're something special or that it's you're the reason God's doing great things or something is the moment you become unusable or you go to being useless, okay? And so staying humble is an important thing to understand. And this is something that's in my prayer journal that I pray every week because I know the temptation that comes with just God doing things in your life. And it's like, Lord, do whatever you need. If you need to give me something like this to keep me humble and rely on you, because I know that the moment I'm not is the moment that I will be useless in your kingdom. And that's all that matters in my life. I want to be used by you. Amen? Amen. So stay humble. Fourth principle, share the whole truth. Paul could say in good conscience that he didn't shrink or hold anything back from God's word in what he taught the Ephesians, as verse 20 tells us. He didn't speak on topics that just tickled their ears or told people what they wanted to hear, but he gave the whole counsel of God. And as such, he could be confident that, hey, I've given you guys everything you need in your lives to live successfully for Jesus and experience the blessing he wants for you. Tells us, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So if you want your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want the people in your life 
prepared to be able to do everything God wants them to do and experience all the blessing that he wants for them, then you're going to give them the whole truth. No, it's everything, right? Everything. everything. Amen. Yeah. I'm glad you're listening. I hope, like, hopefully everyone else is too. Because this is the thing. You can be prepared for some of it. But what happens when you that part that you need, you're not prepared for? And what that's going to amount to is you not holding anything back and being somebody that tells somebody what they need to hear and not always what they just want to hear, okay? Knowing that it's for their betterment. If they're, even if they aren't ready to receive it or not, then you still know this is the truth of God's word. I'm telling it to you, not in a place of like trying to come down on you or whatever. I love you, and this is what you need to hear because if you listen to this, you are going to be brought to a better place in your life. Amen? And if we don't tell them, then we have to wonder, shoot, I should have said that. And I didn't. And they continued down this wrong road. Amen? So we want to be those that give the whole truth to people. Second, or sorry, fifth, share the good news with anyone and everyone. So Paul's message wasn't limited in any way, and neither was his audience, as he preached to both Jews and Gentiles, according to verse 21. That means everyone, all right? There were the Jews, everyone else was a Gentile. So he preached to whoever, anyone that was willing to listen, all right? And it, even if that meant him taking the time to go house to house, as verse 27, verse 20 says, or to personally minister to people individually wherever they were at, Paul did what was necessary to preach all God's word to all people. Paul simply following Jesus' example, who very much in himself was somebody that preached to anyone and everyone that would listen. We see Jesus preach to the religious leader, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, in the middle of the night in John 3. We see him preach to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. We see him preach to the sickly woman amongst this crowd vying for his attention in Luke 8. We see him preach to the demon-possessed outcast in the cemetery in Mark 5. He preached to whoever, whenever. No biases. Just to everyone, all right? And the thing is, we are given people every day of our lives, starting with our own families, starting with the people we work with, starting with the, the kids you coach. You're given people every day. And there's opportunities there to tell them about Jesus. Um, but jo- where's Jody? She was just right. Your husband shared an awesome testimony yesterday. He was telling us that um, he's home taking care of his sick kid, so don't come down on him. He's being a good husband. But all that to say is um, he he was at Walmart, and he's walking in the parking lot, and somebody randomly comes up to him and says, what nationality are you? Because he looks a little different than some other people around here, right? So, like, but this this is where God uses that, right? Because, like, he's like, oh, you know, he tells them, like, he's Indian and and the guy's like, man, you guys get a lot of things right, especially your spirituality. And what he's like, he's like, actually, that is not true. Because Hinduism is very oppressive. And he proceeds to share the gospel with him, like, like about Christianity. And like the guy didn't, guy, he, I mean, pray for the guy, because he didn't just receive it. He was kind of dumbfounded, like at that. But that's a good example. The Lord brought him somebody, and he's like, amen. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. And so we see those all the time. And if you want to see, like we talk about fruit a lot, like how God wants us to be fruitful. We want to see fruit in our life. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people set free from their bondage of, you know, the bad things in life. We want to see that in our lives, right? 
Well, how do you get fruit? Where does fruit start from? Like just practically seed, right? And if you want to see fruit, if you know anything about planting, usually you got to chuck a whole bunch of seed because not all of it comes up, right? It falls in all different types of soils and the variety of reasons. So if you want to see a bunch of fruitfulness in your life, you just chuck seed everywhere you go. You just be like Paul. You tell anyone and everyone the opportunities God gives you, the good news, you consistently do that. And guess what? You see a bunch of fruitfulness in your life just like he does. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, the sixth principle, I'm going to do this. All right. Preach Jesus. All right, it says in verse 21 that Paul's message was repentance toward God in a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in essence, basically go toward God through faith in Jesus. Because as John 14, 6 tells us, he's the only way to the Father, all right? Now, here's the thing you have to understand. If you guys haven't been tracking with us through this chapter, I pointed it out before. Ephesus was a place of sin, idolatry, immorality. There was sin all over the place. But you don't see Paul kind of attacking that sin. Now, he preached about repentance, which repentance means turning from sin. But here's what he specifically preached. Repentance toward God or basically turning from sin toward God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Because here's the thing. He knew that when if people believed in Jesus... They would see the goodness of God in their life. If they saw the goodness of God, they would see that what God had for them was much better than any sin or anything in this world. And they'd willfully turn from that sin because that's what God's goodness is meant to do in our lives. Romans 2, 4 says that his kindness is meant to draw you to repentance. When you see God's love for you, when you see his good plans for you. You don't have to tell somebody to run from the sin that's been destroying their lives for their whole entire lives. Their eyes are open and they see that I'm an idiot. I need God. He saved me. I want what he has for me. All right. And that's what we're still seeing as we learn these things over our whole course of life. Right. Years ago, Billy Graham, he came to Portland, Oregon for a crusade many years ago. And reporters were really trying to get him to comment on maybe some of you more seasoned saints remember this measure or proposition nine. It had to do with homosexuality. And and they really wanted to, you know, here comes this preacher dude. Let's get his take on this. And he wouldn't bite. Basically, his response to them was, I didn't come to Oregon to talk about politics. I came to talk about Jesus Christ. And I think he nailed it. Because here's the thing. If all we do is tell people, stop doing those bad things without ever giving them Jesus, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because they have to know Jesus first in order to understand why these things are bad for them, why what God has for them is better. And they need God's help to do that, which only can come through faith in Jesus. So that has to be the center of what we're telling people. And then once they believe in him and get saved, then God can help them reveal those things in their lives that are harmful to them. Amen. Amen. All right. Last principle, the seventh one, ministry is hard. Paul pointing out in verse 19 that his service to the Lord in Ephesus involved tears and trials from opposition that he faced with the Jews or basically that he faced adversity from and was hurt by people during his time serving the Lord in Ephesus. All right. 
Now, he makes it clear in verses 20 through, uh, 20 through 21 that he didn't shrink back because of that. Okay? Like, he persevered. He was consistent. He was adamant to continue doing what God told him to do despite those tears in those trials, which is important. All right? Because it means that he probably could have avoided some of those hardships had he shrunk back, had he stopped doing, had he not preached the whole message of Jesus Christ. But because he was a man that made the resolve that I'm going to do what God says, no matter what, as we talked about in Acts 19.21, or he was consistent, he chose not to hold back, faithfully served the Lord, enduring any of those hardships. And as we see here with Paul, it's good for us to understand up front that serving the Lord, because it involves people, is going to involve tears or us being hurt at some point or another and trials or difficulty so that like him, when we experience those things, we don't shrink back or withdraw from serving people when things get tough or we get hurt by somebody, all right? Because as we're there discussed, again, this goes back to understanding who you're serving. You're serving God before you're serving those people. You're practically serving people, but you're serving God, all right? And it's in that place of serving others where you're going to find yourself closest to God, like we talked about last week, right? And then you're going to get to see him glorify himself the most in your life. Now, we went through this passage. I'm not, if you weren't here last week, you're going to have to listen to it because it's a long one. But when it, in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about when he comes back at, at the end of the tribulation and there's this separating people that are righteous and that are unrighteous. And he goes into this, um, like it's like a parable where he's explaining that all these people that took care of naked people or they took care of sick people, he's like, ultimately, you guys did that to me. And they're like, when did we do that? And he said, whenever you were helping somebody else, you were helping me, all right? So we talked about how when we're serving God, the reason we should be serving God is because that's where we're going to find the Lord. That's where we're going to be close to him because we can't do it apart from him. And that's what he does. He helps people. And that's where we're going to be closest to him. Amen? All right. Now, here's the part I didn't read that I want to read today. It says in verse 41, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see your, you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So here's the principle that I want to just point out here. And this idea of understanding ministry is hard. Because when we get into those hard things, our tendency is to withdraw from people, all right? But when you withdraw from people, you inevitably withdraw from God, you distance yourself from him, okay? And there's a scary warning here for anyone that lets that become the norm in their life, okay? If you've totally cut yourself off from people, it actually says in John, you can't say you love God and say you don't love his people. It, 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 it's if God loves people. So if you truly love him, you're going to love people. But if you try to remove yourself from people, you're inevitably distancing yourself from God, 
And I point this out because sometimes I see people, they want to pull away from God's people or church when somebody offends them or they're hurt by another brother or sister or they're let down by another believer. And I totally understand that tendency. I've followed the Lord for 22 years and I have my fair share of tears and trials, okay, due to people, all right? And I understand why in our flesh our tendency is like, I'm out. I'm going to remove myself because I don't want to get hurt. It doesn't feel good. I don't want to deal with this difficulty. That's our tendency. We're going to keep ourselves safe. But here's the thing. The moment you chose to believe in Jesus and have a savior, one of the reasons you did that is because you're no good at keeping yourself safe. And you have somebody much better than you at keeping yourself safe. Amen? And it takes trust and faith to believe that, right? And what I've learned over 20 years of following Jesus also is that when you, again, you try to run from God's people, you're running from them. But the very situations that you're trying to run from or avoid are the very situations that God is using to try to teach you how to show grace and love to those people like he did. Because when people said horrible things to Jesus, when they lied about him, when they beat him up, when they nailed him to that cross, did he run from them? No. That's right. He died for them. And so what that tells me is if we're going to follow his example, we don't run from that. Instead, we run to him who understands exactly how we feel, knowing that no matter what pain you're feeling, he's big enough to heal it. No matter what difficulty you're facing, he's strong enough to help you through it. Amen? And in the process, teach grace and teach you love so you can be free of anger and hate, all those things last week we talked about. And you can be in that better place of just loving and forgiveness. Amen? But if we run from that, we prolong that lesson. We're not able to learn it. And what that results is when we get this down, when we get this down, when we persevere like Paul, then we're able to be devoted to one another, which is what a family should be, right? I don't run from my kids because they're difficult, (laughs) all right? I would have left a long time ago. (laughs) No, I persevere because I love them and I'm dedicated to them no matter what. And that's the way we're supposed to be as a church family. But I got to stay there and stick it out so that, you know, God can do that work. And we got to do that with each other too. And it starts with understanding that, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Like I said, we're all imperfect people. We're all works in progress. It's to be expected. But we can show grace. And we've got Jesus to help us do it. Amen? Amen. All right. So as the worship team comes up here, a lot of things I talked about. Availability. Are you available? Because God surely wants to do great things through you. He has a significant role for you in his church. But are you available? Because he can't do it unless you're willing to make yourself available. Are you consistent? Man, have you gotten to that point where you just understand that, man, I'm all in for Jesus. He's always going to be the first choice in my life. Whatever it is. And I know that everything around me is going to benefit from that. Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving people? Maybe you're in a place where you feel discouraged. Because, you know, your focus is on people and they're they're not reacting the way you'd hope or you're not seeing the fruit that you'd hope or, you know, and it's understandable. But at the end of the day, you got to go back to who am I doing this for? I'm doing this for the Lord. I know he's happy. I know he's pleased. I know that nothing I do is in vain. 
with him, it's of eternal value. Are you being humble? Are you on your knees asking God for help? Man, Lord, I feel like I'm struggling, but I'll just pull up my bootstraps and I'll do it. No. Yes, we struggle. We need to be asking God for help. We need to be relying on him. And he's more than willing to help us. So he can show his strength and glorify himself. Are you preaching the whole truth? Are there people in your life that you know what's ailing them? And at the risk of confrontation, you're afraid to tell them what they need to hear. That's the best thing they could hear. Tell them the truth. Don't hold anything back. And then pray that God gives them those those receptive hearts to receive it and understand that your heart is because you love them and you want the better things for them. Are you sharing Jesus with everyone wherever you're at? Looking at all those opportunities and understanding that every single relationship in your life is not by accident. It's so that in some way or another, you can pour into them and train them up and teach them about Jesus. Even if it's sharing Jesus for the first time with someone. Are you preaching Jesus first and foremost? Are you preaching grace or fire and brimstone? Now, fire and brimstone is part of it, but the whole point of that is to make you understand how great the grace is. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's got to be a part of everything we're telling people. And then, expect ministry to be hard and painful. And when it gets that way, don't run from it. Run to the Lord. He'll be there to meet you. He'll comfort you. He'll heal you. He'll give you the strength you need to keep enduring. And then ask God, what are you trying to teach me in this, Lord? For some reason, I I like to just wallow in my sorrows for a while before I get to that point. But it'd be much easier just to straight up go to him and go like, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? I know you're trying to teach me something. And let him teach you those lessons he's trying to teach you for your betterment. To relieve you of the ugly feelings in life that you don't have to feel anymore as a child of God. Amen? So there's a whole bunch of things the Lord could be ministering to you today. We'll have our prayer team up here. I encourage you if there's specific things that, man, that was a word for me. It feels like the Holy Spirit's just really teaching me this or pressing this upon my heart or correcting me. Get prayer. Come up and get prayer so we can pray with you on that. To some degree, we probably are all in that camp today. So let's talk to God and do business with him and not leave here without allowing, asking him to change us for the better, help us live in these things. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for the truths of your word. Again, these principles are things maybe most of us have heard before, but Father, it's a much harder thing to actually live them in our lives. And we want to, because we know that anything your word says is for our good. And we want to be free of those things of this world that leave us in bad places with bad thoughts and bad feelings and just that are like weights, things that are tripping us up, Lord, as it says there in Hebrews 12. We want to lay those things aside and just follow you, the author and finisher of our faith, right to the end of this race, right through this life. So, Lord, meet us in this time. May we be sensitive to your spirit. May we respond to your conviction and ask for your help, Lord, to live these things out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.